Psalm 133 is where we're going to be tonight. Uh, it's been uh, just a crazy summer of serving, which has been really, really exciting. And so just thankful to God uh, for all the opportunities. We have served like crazy over at the Washington Street Housing Complex. And so just again, uh, if you don't know about the complex there, it's a complex that we adopted about a year and a half ago and said, we're going to serve this place like crazy. So rather than just making a bunch of dents all over the place, let's make one massive uh, dent somewhere, and God has really granted us favor there, so really grateful for that. A couple weeks ago, we had uh, a vacation Bible school there, had 75 children, which was really cool over the course of Vacation Bible School and Kids Connect that Saturday. Uh, just this past Thursday night, there we did a, a game night for teenagers and had 30 teenagers show up, so uh, just really cool. Uh, I do want to say um, that I got a call from one of the social workers there, and she asked us, she said, Things are crazy over here. We've got people begging to come to church. We just got to figure out how to get them there. And so that's a good problem to have. And so you can say praise God to that. Say praise God. All right. Praise God. All right. Now, the other thing I want you to say is, what can I do, Josh? <laughs> All right. Yeah, I'm glad you asked. Uh, yeah, here's what you can do. Is uh, you can take that, that connection card that you have, and on the back side of it, you can write on there. If you're interested, you could say, hey, I, I'm interested in maybe picking up some people there and bringing them to church. It's a good problem to have. And so uh, if you're interested in that, you would just let us know on the back side of that card to say, hey, I'm interested. By writing, writing that down, you're in no way committing, but you're just letting us know that you're interested. So thanks for asking, by the way. I'm really grateful for that. Um, and if, you, if you're going to uh, pick up some children, what we'll do is we'll make sure that you get Corey checked so that you're protected and they're protected and everything's good. But uh, we would love uh, for you to be a part of that ministry there. It's really exciting what God is doing. Uh, I'm really excited to be back tonight teaching I was here last week. I'd just gotten back in from a camp, but really excited to be teaching uh, tonight. I do uh, just really thankful for Dan and Ryan uh, for, for preaching while I was uh, out and about uh, up in New Hampshire preaching for a camp for a bunch of students from all over New England. I love doing that. get to do it several times throughout the course of the year. Uh, what it enables me to do, and therefore I think enables us to do as a church, is it enables us to keep our eye on New England. Those two words really ring in our hearts. Uh, quite a bit, New England, New England, New England, uh, really uh, er, uh, just an area that we really have burned into our hearts. We want to reach this whole region uh, for Christ, and so uh, by doing that, it enables me to, to get to know pastors and youth pastors and students from all over uh, New England and just kind of find out where the needs are, and so our dream as a church is that we'd be able to multiply this out um, in different places uh, throughout uh, the New England region. And so thank you for letting me do that from time to time. In fact, this morning, Ryan was preaching out in western Massachusetts, and Dan travels around a bit and, and preaches at different churches across New England as well. And, and so doing that, again, helps us to kind of survey New England, but then also what it kind of does is it reminds us that, you know, we're not it. It's very easy for a church just to think, hey, it's us, right, just us. But God is up to some cool stuff all over uh, New England. And it also kind of forces us to be mindful of our need to be unified with them. Um, that, hey, we're all part of the same family. And so I'm uh, just really grateful for the opportunity to do that. And again, thank you for that. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight, actually. We're going to talk about uh, unity together in the Psalms. So I'm excited for that. So here's what I want to do. I want to open up our time together in prayer. And I'm just going to kind of guide you in a time of prayer. So if you want to go ahead and close your eyes, we'll just talk to the Lord uh, for a minute here. And, and I just want to lead you uh, in a prayer specifically for unity among Christians in our region, in our country. Let's just, let's pray for that. And so would you take just, uh, just a few seconds to, to start by lifting up uh, unity within our, our young church body, if you would. Just, just ask God to unify us. 
keep us unified. And now would you lift up just the unity among Christians in this city, that we would lock arms, we would be a part of the same mission, the same focus, we would be unified. Now would you pray for unity in the New England region, that God would allow us together to lock arms and to reach this region. And then let's pray. It's so evident that we need unity among the believers in our country. Let's pray for our country. And now let's pray for unity in our world. God, we pray um, for unity among Christians everywhere, around the corner, uh, on the other side of the city, a couple of hours away, all the way up in, in Maine and Burling- Burlington, Vermont, Hartford, Connecticut, and Providence, Rhode Island, and on the Berkshires. Lord, we pray that Christians in New England would be unified. Pray that in our, our, our country that we would lock arms together, that we would not be known for bickering and bitter infighting that we would be unified. And God, I pray that we would be unified with believers across this world. It's so evident in your scriptures that you are concerned with every tribe and every tongue, every nation, the ethnos, Lord, that they would know you and that we would glorify you in one voice. Unify us, Father. God, as we look at unity tonight, God, I pray that you would Stir our hearts, Lord, that you would do in us what you need to do in us, that you would uh, just deliver your word in a very specific way to our hearts, God. I know we, we come into this room tonight from all different backgrounds and different life situations, different places in our journey with you, but God, I pray that you would speak very specifically, as only you can do. God, we do uh, thank you for last night. Thank you for the movie night, just the awesome turnout that we had, uh, despite the threat of rain. Lord, we pray for everybody that we were able to serve. Lord, that they would see Jesus through us and just constantly be reminded of that. And God, we too pray for, um, we pray for Scott McDonald tonight as he's uh, away serving children in the Ukraine. God, we pray that you would bless his ministry efforts there. Lord, that you would give him the words to say and the stamina to do what you've called him to do there until we see him again in a few weeks. So we commit him into your hands, Lord. And Lord, tonight, as we look at your holy scriptures, we pray that you would be honored. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. All right, Psalm 133, we are continuing on in our summer in the the Psalms. And again, tonight, if you haven't put it together, we're talking about unity. Um, And this is one of those messages for me that is fun, because it's not one of those, pull it together, you dirty, rotten sinners. But it's one of those messages where I get to say, hey, you're doing really well here, and so keep it up. And so... It's kind of preventative medicine in a sense, but also at the same time, I can say like the Apostle Paul said to the church in Thessalonica in First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 10, he was talking to them about their love for each other, and he says, you have no need for me to write you about this. He says, but, this is a big but, he says, you have no need for me to write you about this, but I want to urge you to excel still more. And so I feel like that's where I'm at tonight. You guys are unified and locking arms and serving together and loving each other well. But let's excel still more. How can we go deeper in our love uh, for each other and our unity uh, together? And so 
uh, it's very important that this really applies on so many levels in our faith, that we are never, never, never satisfied with where we're at, but that we, we're always seeking to go deeper. We want greater unity and, and deeper unity. And so let's read our, our, our passage for tonight, Psalm 133. We do have it on the screen if you don't have it in front of you. Psalm 133, just a short one tonight. It says, A song of ascents of David. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard and on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robe. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Some of you heard this before? Probably heard that first line, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. As I'm reading this, man, it just takes me right back to uh, my childhood. Any of you share a bedroom with a sibling? Some of you, maybe, growing up. Um, one of the best and most terrible experiences of your life, I would imagine. My brother Nick and I shared a room from, let's see, ever since we were pretty much together, alive on this planet, through early high school, we shared a room uh, together, and I'm sure many of you can kind of relate with that with your sibling, uh, until one dreadful day in middle school, and uh, it all just came crumbling down, things went uh, awful. We could no longer, we decided we could no longer dwell together in unity as brothers. It was done. And so what we decided to do was we decided to grab our Scooby-Doo sheets and string them across the room and just make a wall right in the middle. We could not dwell together in unity any longer. It was like the old western, you know, this town ain't big enough for the two of us. That was kind of where we, this room ain't big enough for the two of us. And so we took the sheets, we strung them across the, the middle, and it was a little difficult because it was the arrangement was strange because we had a bunk bed on one side of the room, so that just made it kind of challenging. And then the door was on the other side of the room, so we kind of figured it was like 50-50. We had to cross. Each of us had to cross for some reason, so it was hard. But we decided couldn't happen any longer. And then we strung up these curtains and had, this is your side of the room, this is my side of the room, and so now we have our stuff and we have our space separated and, and, and all is well. And now we could, we could dwell together and, and, and there would be no conflict, right? We're in the same room dwelling together, no conflict. How beautiful is that, right? It's not beautiful. It's kind of dumb, actually, isn't it? It's not, not beautiful at all because that, that's not unity, is it? Um, being in the same room and, and not fighting is not what we call unity. I'm sure that's not what uh, God wants for for brothers, but isn't that kind of how it is for, for a lot of churches out there? And I'm not thinking of any church in specific, but I just know that I've seen this throughout the course of my life, is churches like to say, we're unified. We're, we're, we're so unified. It's, it's beautiful. And what many churches mean when they say, oh, yeah, we're unified, is they mean we can come together in a room and not fight. Isn't that great? We can come together once a week, rally in a room, and not fight, and, and that's unity. And they'll say, you know what, as the Bible says, we're, we're in the room, and we're not fighting. Therefore, isn't God real? I mean, our unity is a sign of, of God's goodness and, and his reality. Don't you see Jesus in, in our unifi- unity? We're, we're unified. There's nothing impressive about that. Some of you are like, I go to work every day of the week with people and I don't fight with them, and they're not the kind of person that I would consider myself uh, unified with. See, it, it drives me, it just drives me crazy when Christians out there will, will point to things in their, their lives that much of the world has, and then they say, see, God's real. See, God's good. Look, and I would say, the rest of the world has exactly what you're giving God all the, the, the credit for. Like, uh, for example, 
a lot of people will say, well, see, I have a roof over my head. Is it, isn't God, God real? There's his provision. He's, he's real. Now, don't get me wrong. James chapter 1, verse 17 says that every good and perfect gift comes from above. And so the fact that we all have a roof over our head, I think, in this room means that, that God has provided that. That's a, that's a gift from God. It's what we call common grace. God's grace has been given to us in, in that common way upon all of us here. But listen, show me a Christian who has lost his job and has the threat of losing that roof over his head and yet can still say God is real and God is faithful and I will trust him and I will praise him through all of that. That's impressive. See what I mean? You see the difference? Uh, like, like David who when, when the enemies were up against him, uh, Saul's armies were, were up against him and his life was being threatened and yet he's penning some of the most beautiful psalms of trust and praise of the Lord in the midst of his trial. That's impressive. That points me to the reality of God. Other people say, look, I'm married, and I have this amazing spouse, and that's, that's awesome, and that's great. And they would say, see, God's given me that. That's, that's a provision. See, God is real. And once again, I would say, it is a gift from God, common grace. But you show me a Christian who's married to somebody who's hard to love, and yet they're still loving them and still hanging in there with them, that's powerful. That's impressive to me. Kind of like uh, Hosea, the prophet, who was married to an adulterous woman, yet was faithful to her. Or some will point out, look, I have health. My, my family has health. See, God's provision, God is real. And again, yes, it's a gift from God, but you show me a Christian who is facing disease. You show me a Christian who has recently lost a a loved one and they're still saying God is real and God is faithful and God is good and I hope in God. And that's impressive. Kind of like Job who lost his family, lost his own health, yet he refused. I will not curse God. Won't do it. Won't do it. Likewise, let's not be the church who says, look, we can sit in a room together. Some of us can even go to a small group, a connection group together throughout the course of the week and not fight. See? Unity. God is real. Look at that. No, instead, let's be the, the, the church who is ethnically and socially and economically and generationally diverse, but yet can still somehow do life together. When where you look elsewhere in the culture and people gather in affinity groups, don't they? We all are of this race. We're all of this um, upbringing socially, generationally, whatever it may be. That's what people tend to do. But you show me a church that is ethnically diverse and generationally diverse and economically diverse and socially diverse, yet unified. And I'll say, man, that's, that's powerful. You show me a church that when people mess up and butt heads, yet forgive each other and continue on, and then I'll say, man, that's, that's impressive. You show me a church that serves each other when it's not convenient, right? Show me a church that, that, that sacrificially gives of their, themselves and their heart and their, their resources and their, their energy. That's, that's impressive. That's, that's unity. And so let's not just settle for being unified in that we can hang out in the same room together once or twice a week and call that unity. See, I'm convinced that, that the reason most people in our world don't want Jesus is not 
because of the oppression of Christianity in America. I'm convinced that the, the reason most people in our world don't want Jesus is not because they took prayer out of schools back in the day. I'm convinced that the reason most people don't want Jesus is not because they took the, the Ten Commandments down from the courtroom wall. I'm convinced that the reason most people don't want Jesus is because they look at our lives and they don't see any power. They don't see any, any, any power or anything that's awe-inspiring. But what if they looked at our lives and saw this crazy, unique connectedness that doesn't really make sense based on affinity, things that we like? And that would be, that would be incredible. That would turn heads. And it's kind of like the, the first church in Acts chapter 2. You don't have to turn there. We'll actually put it on the screen for you. In Acts chapter 2, verses 44 uh, through 47, I want to read you uh, some scripture here. Acts 2, 44 through 47. This is the first summary of the early church. Here's what it says. It says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Man, isn't that cool? That's a, that's a glimpse of, of unity. It's what Matthew Henry calls the, the state of the church's greatest innocence. Right? This is the very first church. They're innocent before they grow up and get corrupted like our children do. Right? They're just this innocent little infant church. And what do they do? It says 44, they were together and they had all things in common. What's mine is yours. They shared. Verse 45, this is crazy. They were selling their possessions and their belongings and, and distributing to, to meet people's needs. They were, they were day by day wanting to be together in the temple and then going from temple to homes and trying to be together in each other's homes. A lot of us just like, we just want to close into our homes. It's kind of like our little mole hole and we don't want... We don't want to see the light of day. We just want to be comfortable. And they wanted to be together. One of the coolest things for me is when I have to kick you out of this building at the end of the night. Like, go. I'm tired. It's been a long day. But you just want to hang out. And you just want to be together. That's a, that's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I love that. Verse 47, praising God, having favor with all the people. So now people are looking at this young church and they're saying, that's pretty cool. And they're finding favor. They're saying, I want some of that. And then it says, and the Lord is adding to their number day by day those who are being saved. That's a unified church, huh? Reminds me of Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17. This is right before Jesus goes to the cross and he's praying what's known as his high priestly prayer. And this is pretty cool. He's praying his high priestly prayer. And so this is like, Dying wishes of Jesus right before going to the cross. And look what he, he prays in John 17, verses 21, 22, and 23. He says, Father, I pray that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, 
so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. How cool is that passage of Scripture? It's the, the, the dying wishes of Jesus before going to the cross. He's saying, I'm, I pray that they might be one. I mean, how many times do we have the word one up there? Quite a few. He says, I want my people to be one. And he says, I want them to be one. He says this twice, and when God says something more than once in Scripture, he's adding emphasis, very strategic. He says, I pray that they may be one so that the world would know that I'm real. So our unity is a testimony to the world of the reality of God. Not our hanging out and being able to get along and not fight, but real deep unity. And the kind of unity he compares it to is what? He compares it to the unity uh, of the Trinity. In, in verse 21, it says, Just as uh, you, Father, are in me and I in you. He's talking about the, the unity of the Trinity. Let me show you a Trinity symbol. Some of you guys have seen this before. Uh, we have a little Trinity symbol here. I want to show you this. It's coming. Wait for it. There it is. See that? You've seen the Trinity? Some of you might even have it tattooed somewhere. I want to ask where, but some of you maybe. Um, <laughs> I shouldn't tell this story, but maybe I will. I'll tell it. So I was in college. I went to a Christian college. And uh, yeah, Christians, you know, they, they want to be spiritual, but you get a tattoo. I don't have a problem with tattoos. But when you get it tattooed in just weird places, you know, Christian symbols and things, it's just weird to me. So anyway, I won't even, now I'll just stop. Okay, so this is the Trinity symbol. And, and, and you understand the, 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 the point of the symbol. Even on these, these pews here, we have these, these three circles that come together to make this symbol, which speaks to God being tri, three, but yet unified. He's three in one, God the Father, God the Son, and, and, and God the, the Spirit, who have been perfectly together in relationship with one another for eternity past. And that relationship has never been broken until when? Until Jesus goes to the cross taking on our sin. And for a moment, the Father has to turn his eyes from him because he's bearing the sin of the world. It's powerful stuff. And so God can even relate in, in broken unity for a moment in history. So he knows our, our longing for unity, our longing for people to know us and for people to even be wronged by us because we all make mistakes but yet still love us and, and, and he, he knows our desire for unity. He has a great appreciation for that. And so Jesus says, I pray that they would be unified and not just, just unified but so unified that they'd have this beautiful unity that looks a little bit like the Trinity and our relationship within Myself, God says. So verse 23, I pray that they would be unified so that the world may know that you have sent me. People would say, man, something crazy is going on there. That's, that's crazy. There was this ancient letter, the letter uh, to Diognetus. Um, and the letter basically was proving that Jesus is real to the early church. And if I'm going to prove Jesus is real, I'm going to, you know, try to do some kind of science experiment and say, see, look, God created all things, you know. The, the letter just simply said, of course he's real. Look at the church. How do you explain that? How do you explain this radical unity and fellowship and commitment to one another that these people have? It's so rare, so crazy. It's because of Jesus, and that's how they proved that the reality of, of Jesus. And that's what Jesus prays. I pray that 
they would be unified so that the world may believe. It's the kind of unity that causes the world to scratch their head and say, wow, that doesn't make any sense. Look, at, look back at our psalm if we can. Look at verse 1. Look at verse 1 of Psalm 133. What's the very first word there? You can say it. You can talk out loud. Behold. The psalm could have just said, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And some of you, maybe you've memorized it because you've heard it. Don't leave out that word behold. It says, behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. In other words, the psalmist is saying, you have got to see this. You have got to see. Behold, check this out. This is crazy. The family of God dwelling together in, in unity. It's rare. It's beautiful. It's just truly, truly beautiful. You know, if you go back into the, the book of Genesis, there's several occasions where this phrase, dwell together in unity, is used, saying that Abraham and Lot, they couldn't dwell together in unity. Jacob and Esau, they couldn't dwell together in unity. But behold, how beautiful it is when we can dwell, some translations say dwell together in, in unity. It's rare and it's beautiful and it should be turning some heads as Jesus said it would and it has throughout the course of history. What David does now in the next two verses is he gives us a couple of similes. You know what similes are? I'm not really, grammar was not my thing and uh, literature was certainly not my thing. So I had to do a little, little uh, dictionary look up the, the idea of simile here, but when you have uh, descriptive comparisons of things that are just two things that are un, unrelated. And similes really show us, these similes here show us just how rare, how unique and head-turning and beautiful is the unity of the, the family of God. Look at verse 2. Uh, he says, this kind of unity where brothers dwell together in, in, in unity is, is like the oil that's used to anoint the head of, of Aaron. Let's read it, verse 2. Psalm 133 says it is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. So so Aaron was uh, the high priest uh, which was under the Mosaic law. We don't have high priests today because Jesus is our great high priest Hebrew says Uh, but Aaron was the high priest and he would have been anointed with a, a special oil that was reserved just for him his ordination. I was ordained a handful of years back, and there was no oil or anything like that. But Aaron, uh, according to um, uh, what they would have done, had oil uh, poured on him. And this illustration has such a depth of meaning that our unity, when we dwell together in unity, it's like that, that, that oil at Aaron's ordination, that, that oil had such a, a sweet smell. And, and, and so does our unity, does it? When people see this unity that's so unique and so rare and forgiving and loving and gracious and sacrificial people see that and it's beautiful and it's sweet the oil was also uh, sacred that it was only used for the high priest on this occasion uh, and our unity is more sacred and more holy than we know because it's the unity that comes from god we are unified in in, in christ uh, the oil would then as as this, david makes it a real point to say it flowed down from his head down to his beard, and then down to his robe. And likewise, our unity flows down. You need to know that, that, that our unity will flow down and, and it will bless other people, that there's influence in, in our unity. And so this illustration, we could keep going with it. It's such a, a rich illustration, but it's showing us that, that our unity that we have together as the family of God is really, really 
really special. Now look at, look at verse 3. Can we read this? It says, It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of, of Zion. So he compares it, our unity, to dew of Hermon. And Hermon was uh, a snow-capped uh, mountain, and its dew would have risen and fallen upon the, the mountains of, of Zion, who was very essential for the vegetation during the dry season so that it could thrive. And so you can kind of see there, too, just the, the richness of the illustration that, that our unity is like that dew, that it's refreshing and it's essential, it's vital for that region. And likewise, our unity is more vital for this region than you may know. You know that there is a lot of hurt in this region. There's a lot of hurt in this region based on some scandal that has happened in the church over the past few decades, right? Our unity and our love and our Christ-likeness is more refreshing than you know. For that cracked soil, we soften it. It is more vital than, than you may know. And so these, these two similes are just an incredible picture of our unity and how valuable it is. That it is holy in the sight of God like this, this oil that anointed Aaron was sacred, used for a special occasion. That our, our unity is influential like the, the oil that was poured on Aaron's head and his beard, it flows down. And then it symbolically also flows down to the people that Aaron ministered over. And then the people that the nation of Israel then was to be a kingdom of priests to, that's the world. Likewise, our unity flows down and impacts more than you may know. That our unity, like the, the fragrance of the oil, is sweet. People see this and they say, wow, that's, that's really, really unique and, and beautiful. That our unity is essential to this, this region, watering, dry, hard, cracked ground. And so these pictures are really, really powerful. And one thing that, as I studied this, I've been really challenged looking at unity throughout the Scripture. I've been really, really challenged to see that all throughout the Scriptures, time and time again, from here in the Psalms to, to Acts chapter 2 to, to John 17 when Jesus prays, you read all throughout the Scriptures, that God uses our unity to bless others. It's easy to think our unity is just about us, and it's just about us reaping the benefits of being a family, and that's a wonderful, beautiful thing, and it's essential, and we all need family. We all need to know that somebody loves us even when we mess up, because we're going to mess up. I'm going to mess up. Don't ever make this church about me or a man. It's always about Jesus. And so we're all going to mess up. We need to have those people in our lives, but also be mindful that our unity throughout the Scriptures keeps bringing it back to God uses our unity to bless others, to bless others. It's easy to think it's about us, but it's, it's also about others. And so this is the time where we need to start to round third base a little bit, huh? We need to start to say, okay, bringing this home, now how does this apply to me? How does this speak into to my own life? Time for some, some essential self-evaluation. So I ask you, is, is your connectedness to your church family, is it blessing others? Is your unity with your church family, is it, is it blessing others? In other words, is it rare? Is it unique? Is it head-turning? Or is it no different than your unity with a coworker that you're just buddies with? 
Is your, is your connectedness and your unity to your, your church family sacrificial and loving and gracious and forgiving and humble? Or is it no different than how you're unified with just your neighbor? We need to love them. But there's a beautiful unity that we're called to have. And I'm just praying that, that we would never be satisfied again. Look at this church. I don't think there's broken unity at all. But that we would never be satisfied, that we want to excel still more, as Paul uh, encourages the Thessalonians. That we would press on and, and see greater unity, greater selflessness, greater giving of, of ourselves for each other, like the church there in Acts chapter 2. A lot of people read Acts chapter 2 and say, ah, that was then. But this is now. That's impossible. Different culture. No. I don't think so. I think that's what God intended for us. One more thing. I want to make sure that we don't forget that this, if you look at the very beginning of this psalm, it's a song of ascent of David. So David wrote this, and it's a song of ascent. Again, remember these, we've seen a couple song of ascents along the way this summer. Song of ascents were songs that were sung by Israel for their three different uh, feasts that they would go to Jerusalem for, according to Deuteronomy 16, 16. And they would sing these songs on their ascent up Mount Zion to Jerusalem. And so these are songs that, these 15, that were on repeat in their lives a lot, at least three times a year. And it's important that that it was placed in this collection among the songs of ascent. So that God's people could sing it regularly. Be reminded regularly of the unity that we need to have. And so I'll beat this drum for a long time. That our unity needs to be unique. Our unity needs to be uh, special and head-turning. We need to sing this often. Let's be unified. Let's be unified. Let's be unified. Let's declare to the world the greatness of our God in part through our unity uh, with each other. And so, again, we need to continue to evaluate our own lives, our own unity within our own body and the way we then help foster that unity with each other. And is our unity uh, such that, that it, it really blesses other people? But does our unity so bless other people that it also invites other people who aren't a part of that unity into the unity? That's a big key. A lot of churches like to become a family, and we should be. But then it eventually becomes an exclusive family where it's just us, and I love what we got. It's comfortable. I know everybody well. Are we going to be the kind of family that's so unified and knows that we have such a good thing going? Somebody else has got to come be a part of this. They've got to experience this. And so we want to encourage other people to enter into that unity. And maybe some of you even tonight are here. And we're inviting you into the unity, not just of this local church body, but of the, the body of Christ across the world. We're inviting you into that unity, to that family the family that, that we all really need uh, to be a, a part of. That we would all recognize our need for Jesus because of our sin. That we would also all recognize that, that, that He so loved us, that He came to this earth and He walked this earth sinlessly, so He didn't deserve to die. Because the Bible says the wages of our sin is death. We're all sinful. Jesus wasn't. Yet He died. And He laid down His life. And so we're unified in that we all realize our need for Jesus. 
and that we all are also looking to him and trust and faith in him that he died as our substitution, that we trust in that, that we would be made right with God. That unifies us. You ever heard uh, somebody say, ah, oh, yeah, I don't like them Christians. Those Christians are, uh, I think they're better than everybody else. You ever heard that? You ever said that? You know what? If, if you have, let me just apologize on behalf of them Christians um, for acting that way. You probably had an encounter with a hypocritical Christian. I hate that. I really do. I'm really sorry for that. But listen, Christians should be anything but thinking they're better than anybody else. Because the whole premise of the Christian faith is that we realize that we're sinful and that we're not better than anybody, that we all have a need for Jesus, just like our neighbor does. And so whatever Christian you ran into, I'm sorry for that. If anything, a belief in Jesus should foster unreal, unprecedented unity because we realize we're all sinful We all have a deep, deep, deep need for Jesus. And so we're unified from within because we all realize we're on the same playing field, aren't we? It's grace. So Christians in no way should think they're better than anybody else, but we should just be innately unified in our need for him. So we are unified in that. Then we're unified in the fact that we have trusted in him. And we want to, as a church family, continue to pursue greater and greater and greater unity people who trust in Jesus, who live for Jesus, who love others to Jesus. So maybe you need to enter into that family. You need to receive that, that unity that God wants to give you. And if you do, look at that second half of, of the last verse there, of Psalm 133. Here's what it says. It says, for there you have that unity. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. When we as part of the family of God. Brothers dwell together in unity. There, in that spot, and you've trusted Jesus and you're unified and with others in your need for Him and your faith in Him and your love for Him. There, He says, the Lord has commanded the blessing. Life forevermore. That's the blessing. Life and life eternally. So I want to close this out in prayer. And maybe as we pray, some of you even just need to, to talk to God. Maybe some of you right now, you need to say yes to Jesus and say, I recognize my need for you because of my sin. Because you did what I couldn't do. You lived perfectly, and then you chose to die, even though you didn't have to. You died as my substitution. Or if I would trust in you, I would be made right because it's, it's your perfect life for my sinful life. It's what theologians of old called the great exchange. Maybe you need to trust in Jesus and call out to him. And the best way you know how in this time you trust in Jesus. Others of us in here, maybe you're a Christian, and you need to maybe confess to the Lord, and maybe he's even brought something specific to your own mind and your own heart, or you have not been fostering community and unity. Maybe you've been fostering disunity with your mouth, disunity with a heart that's unforgiving. Maybe you've been uh, not uh, maybe harboring something, but maybe you've not been helping and fostering unity. And so all of us, I think, need to talk to God. And so can we do that? Let's take a minute to pray. Again, maybe you need to talk to God about some kind of sin in your life, or maybe you just need to call out and say yes to Jesus. Become a Christian. Turn to him and follow him. I'll give you a second, and then I'll pray.
Father, I thank you so much for our time together. Thank you for your word. That we have something substantial to chew on tonight. It's not just man's opinion, it's your opinion, and that's everything. And God, I thank you for everybody who's in this room. I know that you have them here for this time, for a specific reason. You want to speak to their hearts. And God, I pray that if there is anybody in here who is not turned and given their life fully to Jesus, that they would do that tonight. That if they have questions, that they would ask those questions. Lord, that maybe they're ready right now and they just want to say yes to you and turn to you. Lord, do that work in their hearts. Lord, for those in this room who maybe need to confess some sin, in the course of the next few songs and maybe even the rest of this night, Lord, would you just do your work in their hearts? God, may we be a family of God that is unified and that is pure. Lord, that we would be that, that, that testimony to the world of, of the reality of Jesus. I thank you for the night. We continue on in worship in Jesus' name. Amen.